All right, thank you. Great truth communicated in song, maybe help us remember that day by day, right? So turn in your Bibles now, if you would, to John chapter 4, beginning in verse 43. And uh, remember, as, as we've been following Jesus and, and what he's been doing and who he's been speaking to, um, we should remember for certainly coming off of that song, um, that when, when uh, Jesus talked to Nicodemus, Remember then, then we had that verse 16 of chapter 3 that's so familiar. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So if God loved the world by sending the son, the son came out of love, right? And to, to bring love to people who didn't deserve it, to bring love to people who maybe didn't expect it, and we also saw in chapter 3, verse 8, uh, that Jesus, uh, in his humanity, fully directed by the Holy Spirit, went places and did things that maybe weren't expected. Just like the wind, he said there, says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And we we find from Scripture that Jesus in his humanity, the Spirit was on him. He, he, he did things like we have to, directed by the Spirit. But we also found out then in, in chapter 3, verse 34, that, that I'm sorry, it's actually 4, verse 34 is what I meant to have in there. It says, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And so everywhere Jesus went, everything he did, he did it because he knew it was in conjunction, it was working along with his father. And so whether it was talking to Nicodemus at night about what it meant to be born again and how it is that you come to have eternal life, or going and, and talking to a person that, that nobody wanted to talk to. Spoke to the woman at the well in Samaria and told her about living water and how she could have new life by believing in him. He came out of love, spoke to maybe the, maybe the least loved person in that whole city or village. And through her, the word, the good, word, good news came to the rest of those people, and many believed, and Jesus spent two days with them, right? Uh, not the place you would expect a Jewish rabbi to go and spend a couple of nights and days interacting and sharing the truth and teaching his Jewish disciples, here's what you need to be doing. You need to be harvesting souls, bringing them to me, bringing them, therefore, to the Father. And the Holy Spirit's going to continue to direct. Jesus has continued to do the work of his Father in places that you might not expect. And so as, as we continue to move on in verse 43, we encounter another person who is in great need, and Jesus is going to be, bring words that are love to him. 
So follow along with me, if you would, as I read verses 43 through 54. After the two days, he went forth from there into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they themselves also went to the feast. Therefore he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. As he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. Then they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. And so after two days with Samaritans, it was time for Jesus to move on. He was directed, led by the Holy Spirit. He was directed by his relationship with his father and the work that his father was doing, right? heads back to Galilee. Interestingly, then John in verse 44 puts that statement for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And then he goes on and talks about how people in Galilee received him. And that's, that's been a confusing verse for a lot of people. I, I think probably the simple answer is maybe the easy or the best answer here in that Nazareth was the, the city in which Jesus grew up, and, and Annie, go ahead and put the, uh, the map up there, if you would. Um, but you can see that uh, Jesus started in Jerusalem, headed up to the, the city of Sychar, which is near Mount Gerizim. You can see the next spot up. And Cana is where the arrow is up there, and it's just, just north a little bit of Nazareth. And I think probably the statement is here, not to say that everyone in Galilee was not going to accept him. But in fact, in the other Gospels, whenever Jesus makes this same statement about a prophet not being accepted in his own hometown or his own country, it's when he's in Nazareth. It's the people who know him the best, the people who grew up with him, the people who knew, his, knew Joseph and Mary and his brothers, and they're like, you're just one of us. How can you be doing these amazing things? And it may simply be an explanation that he didn't go right to, he didn't go to Nazareth when he went back to Galilee. He's been gone for an extended period of time down in Judea, in Jerusalem, and then in the surrounding area. And I think it says he didn't go back to his hometown. And you might understand that. You know, if you have somebody who comes, you know, from Cardwell, 
They're gone for a while, and they come back, and they only go to three forks. Well, it's like, why, why didn't, why, why aren't you coming? Well, he wasn't accepted there because they couldn't really accept the fact that he was something more than just that little boy that grew up here in Nazareth. Couldn't accept that he was something more than the carpenter's son. And so he, he goes to Cana. If you remember, he was in Cana when he changed the water into wine at the wedding. And so <clears throat> he goes there and, and he's received, it says, by the Galileans. And according to verse 45, it really was mostly out of curiosity. Uh, it says there in verse 35, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans, rece Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves also went to the feast. And of course, each year they were called on by the law to, to take their Passover sacrifice down to Jerusalem. And so they would have seen the things Jesus did. And we're told that Jesus performed signs there. And many people believed on him based on the signs. And them, they being there, according to tradition, going through the, the, the ritual and the feast of Passover, had seen that. They'd seen him cleanse the temple, kicked out the people who were selling animals in the temple courts, uh, exchanging money in the temple courts. And now he shows up back in Cana. It's like, I wonder what he'll do here. I wonder what kind of miracles we can expect him to do here in Cana. Now, most people didn't probably weren't even aware that he changed the water into wine. If you remember, it was a pretty quiet miracle. It was probably just the servants and the people who were in charge of the feast and his disciples, of course. And so they're thinking, well, he did miracles in Jer Jerusalem. How about some miracles in Cana, Jesus? But Jesus had a different appointment. There was actually a whole other reason for him to be in Cana besides the fact just his, his presence there and to teach the people of Cana. Uh, there was someone that God had made an appointment with there. And God brought that person to him. At the end of verse 46, it tells us that there, in, there was a, a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. So here's kind of our main person that we get to see God showing love to by having sent his son to interact with him. Uh, the, this term royal official, it was likely he was an official who worked for Herod Antipas. Uh, the term itself, royal official, means someone who works for a king. And of, of course, at this time, Israel had no recognized Jewish king, right? But Antipas, who was the son of Herod the Great, and you probably know Herod, Herod the Great. He's the one that had all the babies killed, right? He was terribly jealous of his rule. And he ruled really over this, this whole area that's up on the map and, and more besides that. When he died, he had actually just changed his will right before he died. He was going to give it all to Antipas. And he changed it, and, it, and there was a lot of intrigue. And they even went to Rome to say, wait a minute, he can't do this. But they let him do in Rome, the, the emperor allowed him to do it anyway. And so Antipas got those areas in purple, which you can see, instead of the whole thing. And Herod Antipas is the one that we see later who will imprison John the Baptist and have him beheaded. He's also the one that will question Jesus during his trial, one of his trials, and, and you know, will send him then back to Pilate. So this man probably worked for 
King Herod Agrippus. Now, he, didn't actually, he wasn't actually given the term king. It wasn't given by Rome. They had to have permission for Rome for all, all these things that they would do. Antipas wanted to be called king like his father. It wasn't granted that, but he still went by King Herod anyway. Okay, so it tells you something about the nature of the man that this, this person that is in the story worked for. So he was an official, probably under Herod Antipas. We don't know if he was Jewish or Gentile, but I think the way Jesus addresses him along with the other Jewish people in Cana is probably a Jewish man. But that's his place in life. That's his place in society. So he was somewhat elevated, right? He had connections to the right people. He had a certain amount of power. Okay? The guy that was in charge of this area, he worked for. But the other thing we discover about him right off is that he had a son who was sick. At first, that's all that's said in verse 47, right? Or, or I'm sorry, in verse 45. But in verse 47, we're told that his son was at the point of death. So not just a cold or something like that, but he, he was really frightened that his, his son was going to die. So this man who likely had money, certainly had influence and access, would have had access to the best doctors in the area. But apparently his son just kept getting worse. He's probably already tried everything that was available. You know, your, your baby gets sick. What do you do? You do whatever you can, right? But he's heard that that miracle worker people have been talking about. This Jesus from Nazareth is back in Galilee. And so he makes a, a hurried trip from Capernaum. You can see Capernaum's up there on the, the tip of the Sea of Galilee. Cana, about 20 to 25 miles away. Is that too far to walk or to ride to take care of your baby who's desperately sick? I don't think so. Like most dads would say, yeah, I'm going to go do whatever I can. We've tried everything else. And so hearing that Jesus was in Cana, he heads out. And there's no record that he takes a company of attendants or anything. He, he just has to go because his child is sick. And so as we move on down into verse 47, it says, He went to him and was imploring him to come down and to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. On the, the, the verb tense of that word imploring indicates that it was a repeated thing. It's not just that he came once and said, Jesus, come to Capernaum, take, heal my child so he doesn't die. But he did it again. And again, and again, there's a sense of urgency about this that he keeps asking him. He was going to be heard, and he was, he was desperate. Interesting thing as well about the word that's used there is it's, there's different words for to ask someone for something, and we, I mentioned this a week or two ago. Uh, if you prayed, there was a particular word that was always used of someone who was below asking someone who was above them and had the ability to, to take care of them for something. That wasn't the word this man used. He used the word that's, that's used here for imploring is someone who is an equal. 
uh, was used to say if a king asked another king for something. That's, and so he comes and he puts Jesus on the same level with himself. And he may have seen that as showing Jesus great honor. Because remember, who was he? He was a royal official. And he spoke to Jesus like an equal. Seems like a pretty, pretty nice thing, right? Yeah, you're the miracle worker. Let me, let me just lift you up a little bit here, and I'll talk to you like we're, the, we're equal. But Jesus loved this man. He could have just gone with him, right? He could have gone and, and acted as though he were an equal with this man. Would that have been the loving thing? It wouldn't have. He really needed to know Jesus for who he was. He, re- he needed to know Jesus who could, well, who is God, right? And it's interesting, even his request. Uh, his understanding of Jesus, in his mind, meant that Jesus had to go from Cana to Capernaum in order to accomplish this healing. And so that's part of the urgency, right? He'd left on that 20, 25-mile journey with his baby on the edge of death. It's like, we've got to get back. It's going to take us some time to get from here to there. And understand, I mean, this is, this is a, a trip. You know, this is like walking from here, say, to Three Forks. Could take a while, right? Even if you're urgent. Even if you want to get there. What if, the, what, if, what if his son is already dead by the time he gets Jesus back there? Apparently, he didn't have the idea. He saw Jesus as a man of great power, but not enough power to raise someone from the dead. Okay? So Jesus chooses, instead of just doing what it is he wants him to do, instead to provoke faith in this man. Instead, to help him know who he is in a greater and fuller way. And you stop and think about it. Jesus is always accommodating people's flawed and inadequate understanding of him, isn't he? He's doing it right now with you, right? He's doing it with me. I don't fully grasp all that Jesus is, who he is, what he's capable of. And he lovingly challenges us to know him more fully to truly believe the things that we've been told about him. And so sometimes he would go along with someone making a request of this kind. But each incident where people came to him was dependent on the Father's will and had the glory of God and the best of that individual in mind. So this man coming in his desperation, what does Jesus do? Verse 48 So Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The desperate need of this man didn't stop Jesus from continuing to teach the people he was with. He says, you people, it's a plural there. Don't get that out in English so well. But he continues to speak to all of them. Because that was the attitude of the people he was with. 
Remember, it says they, they, they welcomed him because they'd seen him do miracles down in Jerusalem. He says, you won't believe unless you see miracles, will you? So he keeps on working, loving the people he's with to bring them beyond where they were. They'd said, yeah, Jesus, come on into Canaan. We want something from you. you know, we want healings. We want some drama. We want something, some sort of an exciting experience. And Jesus is correcting their attitudes with this man along with them, saying, you're not going to believe unless you see signs, unless you see miracles, right? Wonderful things happen. And, and interestingly, the, this man's boss, Herod Agrippa, or, I'm sorry, Antipas, Herod Antipas had the same problem. Um, in Luke 23, 8, when, when Jesus is brought before him, it says he was glad because he'd been wanting to see Jesus so that he would do a miracle. So he's, this man was surrounded by people who wanted Jesus for what they could get from him, that they could see something miraculous, that they could see some big sign and wonder. And so Jesus addresses the whole group who are there with him and their desire for signs. Because that kind of faith tends to fade quickly. Matter of fact, in John, back in chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, back when Jesus was in Jerusalem, this is, this is what we're given back there about that kind of faith. It says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name observing his signs, which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning men, or man, because, for he himself knew what was in man. See, faith is just based on, oh, you did something great for me. I believe in you. What happens if there's not continued miracles? more and more and more. Well, the faith tends to go away as well. It's not faith in who the person is, in this case, Jesus, God the Son, Messiah, but it's faith in someone who keeps giving me what I want. Okay? So the attitude that the people had in Cana was toxic. It was faith destroying, not faith building. They were believing only because there was more, they wanted more of what Jesus could give them. Verse 49, though, we see the response of this man who came from Canaan. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. The word he uses here for child is different than what was used before. Before it was just the, the word for son or descendant. But the man here says, my little child, come before my baby dies, right? my little boy. If you don't come, he will die. He didn't try to defend himself and say, don't lump me in with these people. As a father, he's desperate. He has only one thing he wants. He wants his son to live. So he cries out that his little boy is going to die if Jesus doesn't come. He's in a place of total helplessness and total need. So you stop and think. Was Jesus being cruel to put 
this man in this place? Did Jesus really have to do that? You know, it's no accident that Jesus arrived in Cana when he did. If you remember verse 4 of this chapter, it says he had to go through Samaria. And again, remembering back in, in 334, Jesus' total, or back in verse 34, um, Jesus' total commitment to doing the Father's will. And so, though this is a very, very painful situation for this man to be in, Jesus is walking this man down a path that is best for him and will bring the greatest good. See, Jesus showed up in Cana at just the right time, which turns out to be the time when this man's son is near death. Because more than just a healing for his son, this man needs to know the healer. This man needs to know the Savior. And had Jesus just said, well, let's go. Let's get down there as quickly as we can and healed him. He wouldn't have gone where Jesus knew he needed to go. And so Jesus throws out that, will you only believe if you have signs, to push him a little bit further. Also, we need to understand and remember the character of God, right? What is God like? Um, God told the Jewish people, turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy 32, verses 3 and 4. It says, For I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Did you get that? The things he does are perfect, righteous, upright, just. Sometimes as human beings, we don't get what God's doing. Sometimes we say, that wasn't right, God. How could you do that to me? How could you do that to us? How could you do that to them? But we need to go back and remember what God said so far back. God is the one who is solid like a rock. He is the one who is a firm foundation. Whatever it is that he, and you can think about this, what he allows what he causes in the mind of God. Sometimes as human beings, we have a hard time making that distinction. But you know what? He has things in our lives to take us places we wouldn't have gone if those weren't there. And when we're in the middle of a really hard time, it can be really hard to believe that God would do that. And I don't look forward to exercising that kind of trust or growing that way. He knows so often that's what I really need. Or I wouldn't know him the way he wants me to know him. I wouldn't trust him more than I'm trusting him now. So was Jesus cruel? No. 
fact, Jesus did this all out of the greatest love. To help this man not just get a healing for his beloved son, but that he would know the beloved Savior. And then going back to John chapter 4, Jesus makes a surprise declaration. It seems like a, almost a total turnaround. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. In other words, I don't, I don't need to go with you to Capernaum. You just go back. You be going, your son is living. Uses present tense verbs. So get on with it. Do you trust me? Your son now is in a state of living, not dying. From 25 miles away, he says, this is what's true. That's a bold thing to do. But we've already learned from John chapter 1 about who Jesus is, right? Let's just review that. Verses 1 through, 1 through 3 at the beginning of this gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, speaking of Jesus, was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. The man standing before this man from Capernaum was not just a man, but in fact, God in human flesh, the creator. There in Cana, he had actually done an act of creation because pots that had been full of water suddenly had all of the elements besides water that, to make it wine. As God, he had done an act of creation. He is the creator, but we also learned at the beginning of this book that he is, what, life, right? In him was life, and the life was the light of man. So now this man is asked in a moment to shift his thinking about who Jesus is and what he can do. He has an opportunity here to rise far above where the others who are present have been living and far beyond these others' expectations. Jesus grabs hold of him, in a sense, with his words and says, I'm more than you think. Do you trust me? And does he? It's pretty amazing, really. It says, the man believed the word which Jesus spoke to him and started off. Wow. Oh, I wish my faith looked like that more. He believed and acted on that belief. He didn't just say, okay, Jesus, I believe that, but why don't you come on down to Capernaum anyway? No, he took him at his word and headed down the road to Capernaum. God calmed his heart, helped him to trust that what Jesus said was true. The faith that was outwardly demonstrated by immediately doing what he said he would do so he headed home to see his living son. Don't you wish you could be like that more often? We can learn a lot from this man and, and how God brought him to a, to a faith like that. And then what are the results as he continues on? Verse 51 says, and, and he was now going down. His slaves met him saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. Then they said to him, 
Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed with his whole household. He, he doesn't do this, I don't think, because he, he, he was in doubt. But in fact, he wanted to perfectly display that, yes, this was Jesus who did it. So here, I'm going to ask this question, and we're going to find out exactly what it, what, that it was Jesus. What time did it happen? Oh, the seventh hour. Yeah. Hey, guys, I've got to tell you something. Let me tell you about this Jesus that I went to find. It was exactly that time. Uh, depending on if it was Roman time or Jewish time, it was going by. It was probably evening. That last evening. Yeah, he told me that. That's the exact time he told me that, that, that my son was living. And interestingly, he didn't make that that uh, 25 mile journey that night. He said it was yesterday at that time. He didn't have to rush back because his son was better. And he wants to give the credit to the one who did the work. And he could have easily just said, oh, what 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 an amazing coincidence. Or just shrugged it off. It's like, well, well, maybe it worked what I did when I went and talked to Jesus. No. It goes on and says, the man believed. You know, he's already believed, right? Is there more believing to do? There is. Uh, and as it says there, verse 53, so the father knew that it was at the hour in which Jesus had said that to him. The word knew is to know by way of experience. He had facts in front of him of what had happened at that time that Jesus spoke. And I think think that's something we need to to consider because we do try to find evidence and proofs for the things God does, don't we? And that's not bad. But our faith needs to start by just trusting him then as we get the proofs, what does it do? Well, it should take our faith to another step further, a little more down the line where our faith is strengthened. Our, our belief then leads to further trust and expand it out into new areas and greater faith. And then, it's, then it's, it takes us even further and it says, not only did he believe, but what? And his household, in other words, his wife, his child, any other children that he had. And here we find out he has servants, of course, being someone who worked for the king. That makes sense. They would be included in his household. The impact of his belief now spreads out to all of those people who are close to him in his life. Now, understand in this time, it wasn't unusual for all the people in the household to hold the same faith as the head of the household. But this was no token switch of religions because the guy in charge now believes that. It says that they also came to a point of believing. And here we also have where signs are given. Some people are just looking for more signs. But God gave these miracles, these things to point to Jesus so that people would have 
a starting point for believing. Because remember, the end of the book, verses 30 and chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John tells us why he put these signs in here. And specifically, he's, he's got seven specific signs that he mentions. <clears throat> but in, in 20, 30, and 31, it says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. See, the signs had a real purpose. Not in and of themselves, not because you got something, but so that you would believe that Jesus truly is the Messiah, the Sent One, the Son of God, and can have life. And that's what's happening now for this, this man's family, right? So miracle number two, originating also in Cana, where the, where the water was turned to wine. It propels a whole household into belief. Well, then, then we're done, right? Well, what happened to this family? Well, to be honest, we don't truly know. But there are some things that can give us some hints along the way. Like for one thing, Matthew chapter 4 tells us that, G, that Capernaum became Jesus' ministry headquarters. He settled in Capernaum, and he would go out for different places, but Capernaum was kind of the place where he, he, he settled in. Now stop and tell me, would this family have gone to hear Jesus teach in Capernaum when he was there? I think so. Do you think they wouldn't have taken their young son to Jesus and said, thank you, thank you, Lord, for healing our baby. Thank you for giving him life and extending that life. Do you think that they would have become some of his more, most fervent followers there in Capernaum? Where, sadly, many, many people rejected him. And there are actually a few people in the, in the Bible that, that scholars think, well, maybe this man or his wife and his wife are, could be mentioned by name. One is Luke 8, chapter 3. And, and again, we don't know this, but because of the connections, it tells us something that probably happened with them in one way or another. <clears throat> here we have a list here of uh, different women that supported Jesus in his ministry and his disciples. And, and we're going through, and you've got Mary Magdalene in the verse before. In verse 3 it says, And Joanna, the wife of Chezza, Herod's steward, and Susanna. And then it goes on and talks about the others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. So was Joanna the wife of this man? Could be. Don't really know. But you stop and wonder, even if that's not her, maybe they had an impact then on Chosa and Joanna. Another possibility is in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. And here we go to the church at Antioch up north of Israel. It says there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas, and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. 
and saw. So again, here we don't know if this person who was brought up with Herod is the same man. Could be. Could be that they had an influence on him. Don't know all that God's doing, do we? The wind blows and we don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. Might have been right there in the heart of Herod, who was really a, a wicked man. But maybe in his close circles, Jesus said, I love you too. I love you too. And I want you to know me. See, because Jesus is always giving opportunities for people to believe in him and to gain the greater blessing of not just getting things they want from him, but being able to believe in him and to really know him. In John chapter 17, verse 3, just before he goes to the cross, he makes a statement that fits there really well. You haven't memorized this verse. I urge you to. John 17, 3, he says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you. <laughs> In front of everybody else, I'm going to lose part of it there. The only, big, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Do you notice he didn't say, and this is eternal life, living for a long, 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 long time that never ends. That's true about it. But he says the essence of eternal life is knowing God. The essence of, of, of eternal life is knowing Jesus, who is the one who was sent. And Jesus is always giving people opportunity to know him and to know him more fully, more deeply, and trust him in new ways than they ever have before. That means you. He's always giving you new opportunities to know him better and to trust him in ways that you haven't ever before. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. To keep bringing these opportunities. You loved us so much that you sent Jesus. And you always keep working in our lives so that we can know you more trust you more and, and sometimes it's it seems a little frightening to trust ourselves to you to, to let those things happen in our lives that have to bring us to a new place we pray that you would give us a joy in knowing you that we would not fear but in fact we would have peace and joy even in the midst of difficult things we know are going to be in our path help us to to keep on trusting you more fully each day. In Jesus' name I pray.